This is Debbie Rashawn, and you're listening to Without Your Head. of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. That would make me terrible, Troy. I'm Treacherous Trista. And we're joined by the legendary Dee Wallace. She should get a cool nickname, too. Maybe Dastardly. I was going to say. Oh, I like that. What? What did you say? Dastardly D. Wallace. Ah, I was thinking more like Diva D. Wallace, but oh. that's all right. Okay, that works, too. <laughs> I don't want to be a diva. I don't oh, like the dastardly diva, maybe. Yeah, dastardly D. I like that. <laughs> I'll put that in the banner. Dastardly D. Okay. <laughs> so it's very cool to have you back. It was a few years ago when we had you on. And uh, this year is the 40th anniversary of the, of the howling. Yep. Can you believe it? So, uh, what has the howling meant to you over the years? You know, you make the movie and then, you know, you're, I don't know. What Do you think a lot about the movie, you know, years after that or in, until like you start doing conventions again? Well, a lot of movies you just do and you forget about and they go by the wayside. And then there's a few movies that just become a part of your life and they're with you forever. Uh, and the howling definitely falls into that one. I do so many uh, interviews and talk to so many fans about the howling. It's just, uh, you know, it's a, a film that's lasted forever. It's uh, just became an instant cult classic. So go figure. You never know. <laughs> right. Do, do you have any, uh, do you have any, like, uh, do you think there's a reason why? Cause a lot of movies come and go, uh, but then some movies stay with people forever. Well, I think it's a good movie, first of all. And it was a, a really interesting take, new take, innovative take on the werewolf story. Uh, the special effects were phenomenal. And it's just such a well-directed, fun movie because of Joe Dante. I mean... I can't imagine that film now being directed by anybody else. He brought in so much of his humor. You know, all the, the commercials and everything and the old film clips in it. Joe paid for himself because the studio wouldn't ante up the money for him. And uh, all of the, the inside nods, you know, all the characters are named 
after old um, werewolf characters and from the old movies that the fans, you know, anybody that's a true fan of the werewolf movies would know. So I, and the performances weren't bad. <laughs> And I think you put all that together, you know, you've got uh, a movie that just is stands the test of time. It's interesting that year, American Werewolf in London also came out and, and Wolfen and all three of them are, you know, especially American Werewolf London and, and Howling. But uh, was there any concern, do you know, at the time, like, are there too many werewolf movies coming out this one? Yeah, we knew we had the best one. <laughs> Well, I still think we have the best one, by the way. Were were you uh were you asked to do the sequel? No. Or none of the how many are there now? Six? Uh six, I think, yeah. Yeah, no. Do you have any opinions on them? No? Um no. <laughs> That's totally fine, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the original is, you know, um, I think it, the rest, most of the rest of them got a little more graphic into the sexuality and everything that I would have ever chosen to do. So, are, are you? I don't assume that you're a horror fan for, I don't know, for whatever reason, but are you a horror movie fan? Well, sure. But I'm, I'm the perfect audience. I sit there <laughs> like this the whole time, you know? I, I'm very wussy, uh, and I have been ever since I was a little girl. I remember um, my big brother babysitting me uh, one night, and my mother said, no scary movies. So, of course, he put on The Bride of Frankenstein. Well... I didn't sleep for weeks and my mom made him let me sleep with him <laughs> every night to pay for me getting scared to death. So I've always been that way. I'm oh. just, I think maybe that's why um, that fear and vulnerability, you know, um, really comes yeah. through in your performances. Well, yeah, I think it serves my performances. That's what I was going to say. Uh, is that ever hard to do, to, uh, especially if you do take after take, like in Cujo or something, you know, to uh, to be at that high level of emotion? Of course. Of course it's hard, but that's my job, you know. Cujo, however, just about killed me. I mean, uh, they treated me for exhaustion for weeks after I finished wow. that film. And what most people don't realize is that your body and your brain, they don't register that you're acting. They, you go through the same chemical fight or flight that you would in real life. So for eight weeks, my brain thought I was running from danger. And uh, it takes a lot out of you. Does I uh, I've been listening to audiobooks of uh, the classic King movies over this last year because it's a weird time this last year, and I recently listened to Cujo. Um, was there any? Was it? Were they ever going to use the original ending from the move from the book? You know, is a much darker ending. I'm ashamed to say I don't know what that ending is. Oh, and yeah. the ending of the book, not to spoil the book for people who haven't read the, read the book, but uh, the child dies at the end. It's a much darker. Oh, that's Cujo. That's what I, that's what I meant. I might, I'm oh, sorry. you said the howling. I'm, going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant Cujo. Yes. Um, there was discussion about it. All of us discussed it. And I was adamant that we did not kill the child at the end. And um, our producer, Dan Blatt, and our director, Louis Teague, um, were in, in agreement. I think I probably swayed them all the way over. And then uh, they called Stephen King, and Stephen said, oh, my God, please. Don't kill the kid at the end. He said he never got more hate mail in his career 
than when he killed the kid at the end of Cujo. And I, my point was, though, you know, probably three-fourths of the people in the 80s that were going to come see the film wouldn't have read the book anyway. Right. And you can't ask, certainly not back then, and I don't think even now, um, to go through two hours of what we put them through with no pay at the end. Mm -hmm. I just... I just, it would, just didn't feel right to me at all. So I'm really glad we made that, that choice. Yeah, I think uh, I agree. Uh, Trista, do you have a question? You've had such an illustrious career. Do you have any advice for someone who might aspire to a similar career? Yes, be yourself. Uh, you know, I taught acting out here for 18 years and Everybody, whether they came from NYU or just arrived from Podunk, Iowa, thought you were supposed to be somebody else and fit into what they wanted or what they were looking for. And what they're looking for is you and how you bring your special spin to the role. Uh, the second piece of advice I would give everybody is if you don't love it, don't get in it. And if you stop loving it, get out of it. Because you, you life's too long. You just got to love what you do. And I think that shows on film. You know? Had you, also, had you always loved it? Was there ever a time that you fell out of love with acting? Oh, sure. Well, let me rephrase that. I never fell out of love with acting. I certainly fell out of love with the business. And that's the challenge for actors because we're creative beings and you want to live in that creative space. And then you have to flip over to the other side of your brain and do business deals and negotiations and all that crap that really act you know, creative people don't really want to do. So um, sometimes the business, sometimes even now, the business part of it gets to me. It's, it's very hard to continue to distinguish that it's not personal. Their job is to make the best deal they can. Your job or your rep's job is to make the best deal they can. And sometimes it feels really personal. And it's just not. It's just business. Uh, that's something Trista mentioned sometimes on interviews about not to take things personally. Yeah. Well, it doesn't serve you. And you know, sometimes by the time you actually sign the contract, if you haven't let that go, you kind of are at the point where you wonder whether you want to do the film anyway. And so um, it's a dangerous place to let yourself focus on. You know, if you can just stay focused on the work and the joy of doing your job and being able to um, truthfully bring that character alive. That's, that's the joy for me. Oh, you said when you, you, that you uh, taught acting for a while, is that something you would also tell your students, you know, not just the actual craft of acting, but what to be in store for business wise? Oh, absolutely. I taught, I taught the entire business of acting. Uh, and I also brought in, you know, I'm a clairaudient channel. So we, I would bring in a lot of my healing work and pick up subconscious stuff that was going on with them. We did it all in my acting studio. It was, it was kind of like Camelot, really. And you can ask a lot of my students, they'll tell you the same thing. It was... If I had six auditors, three of them would go, oh, my God, Dee, I have to study with you. I have to. What do I have to do to study? And the other three would go, hey, it was really great. Bye. 
<laughs> you know, because it was definitely not your typical acting studio. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, you can be the most brilliant actor in the world, but if you're letting all your crap and, and all your stories get in the way, uh, if you don't think you're worthy to succeed, if you've got stuff you've been taught like I did about making money or making too much money or making money doing what you love, oh my God, you know. Because most of us, let's face it, had parents that made money and jobs they hated. So we learned that it wasn't okay to make love, make love, make money doing what you really loved. And all those subconscious beliefs just put blocks in your way about making it. Um, over the years, how is, uh, you know, as, as far as money going, uh, goes, the, the rise of streaming sites and uh, kind of the loss of physical media, is that, how has that affected uh, your life as an actor? Well, I have a lot of different thoughts on that, but the main ones are, I think it's given actors a lot more opportunity to act and in a lot shittier projects. You know, the, this low, 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 low budget stuff that SAG allows everybody to do now, I'm not a big fan of them. Every once in a while, you have very talented people that really know how to do brilliant things with the low budget that they have. But I think most of the time, a lot of young actors are just trying to get a credit, you know, just trying to get started, just trying to get some film. I think you're better off um, really creating scenes on your own and hiring some people to come in and film them for you. So uh, along those lines, though, what goes into your thought process when you take a role? What are you looking for? If it's a low-budget movie. I'm looking for a good script. I'm looking for some history with the director and producers. Uh, so I know I know that they know what they're doing. And I'm looking for a character that I really relate to. Um if I read a script and the character takes me over, I kind of have to do it. I don't know a few years ago, Red Christmas came out. You know, it's a small budget yeah. movie, but I, I'm a big fan of it. And whenever Christmas comes around, I always suggest it as uh, kind of an underrated uh, Christmas horror movie. Uh, no, I, thought- I think it's it's underrated because it's not known. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, people just don't know about it. But that was a perfect example of people who were incredibly talented and knew what they were doing on a very fixed budget. Yeah, I love that movie. And uh, so was that a character that you just, how did you get involved in that? Did you know the director or did you, or was it the character? Well, it's truly a Hollywood story. Um, The director had a friend who was in my acting class that I was taking at the time just to work out and he said oh my god could you get this because it's hard to get past agents if you're not ready to make the deal and you don't know what the the deal is they'll accept you know blah 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 so uh he asked me and I said absolutely send it over and I read it and I loved it I thought it was very innovative and different and gave me a lot of opportunities to chew the scenery emotionally, which is what I really like to do. I I like all the emotional work. And uh, so we hooked up. Uh, The only comment I had was that 
there was a child in it in the beginning and um, he got murdered pretty close to the beginning of the film. I said, I, I don't think that's gonna fly. I, you don't kill kids and dogs, you just don't. You know, he, any other humans go for it, but kids and dogs, it's, there's kind of an unwritten rule, yeah. you know? Well, I, I understand kids, but why, why do you, well, I understand both, but why do you think it is like uh, even horror fans who have no problem watching, you know, people getting slaughtered, uh, if there's an animal killed in a film, not like really, but in the movie, uh, you know. Well, because animals are innocent. Children are innocent. Mm -hmm. Adults aren't. You know, we've all got our crap and our baggage. and but, but to hurt something that is innocent and, and has no aggression or hate in them, it's just, I mean, I saw in the newsfeed today, this uh, sheriff was so distraught because he found a dog at the side of the road that somebody had put a bullet in the side of his head. He was still alive, but they left him. I mean, what the hell is wrong with us? I don't get it. I just don't get where all this hate is coming from and the racism and I don't know. I, you know, if you want to play that out in your life, do more movies, but don't do it in real life. I, it's just not okay with, with my sensibilities. I, I don't like it. I think we should just, be able to look at each other and go, hey, dude, you don't think or dress or look like me or politically believe what I believe. So I don't need to participate my in my life with you, but I bless you and let you live your life the way you want to live it. Just don't hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's just so easy. I don't get it. This is Ari Mihailov, Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and you're watching without your head. And you will be watching without your head if you don't watch without your head. Well, welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm Treacherous Trista. And joining us once again here for part two is Dastardly D. Wallace. <laughs> That's my new nickname, eh? Nickname, exactly. Exactly. We appreciate you doing this again. Yeah, well, deja vu. Does everybody know what happened? Uh, no, I don't think so. If you want to, if you want to let them know or make so up a better why story. Why I'm in a different out, why we're all in different outfits is that we had almost finished the last interview and the tree trimmers that were here dropped a big old log on all the wires and cut the internet and cut everything. We couldn't finish it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is just proof that we can all look great on two days. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a little secret. A couple times when Tristan and I will record uh, two interviews on the same day, we usually switch shirts in between. So it looks like they're, they've redone it. Uh-huh. Yeah, know that trick well. <laughs> oh, uh, Troy is here with us now as well. The terrible one. Hi, Troy. Here Troy we are actually again. predicted. He was he, last week, uh, the week before. He was. He said, "I hope it wasn't the neighbors uh, cutting down the trees." That I'm not you were right on. <laughs> you had that poor ten early when uh, when you were talking about it, and I was like, "Oh man, I just had that vision of it." Yep, that's exactly what happened. They, they cut a big log and it dropped and oh, no. brought down both wires. Oh, yeah, nothing else or it didn't hit the house or anything. No, it, no. All right, good, good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I yeah. saw on uh, on your social media, on your Facebook page, that uh, you're going to be part of the Hollywood Museum Squares. Yes. Part of it, maybe. It, yeah. it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So what is, I guess it's like Hollywood Squares, but is that the Hollywood Museum? or? 
Well, it's the Hollywood Zim's rendition of a Zoom. Oh, Zoom. They did. Okay. Oh, good. That'll be fun. Of Hollywood Squares. Yeah. I guess you can't spoil if you want or not. I guess you don't win. You'd be the. Were you center square? No. I had to think for a minute. No. (laughs) It was not the center square. You know, and I'm. Give me a script and let me get into a part, and I'm great. But all those funny, and of course, I'm on with all these comedians, right? Oh, a little out of my element, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, I tried to be cute and darling anyway. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure you did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> you you have that you have that nailed the cute and darling <laughs> part. Um, hey, you probably beat out Gilbert Gottfried on that one, I think. <laughs> He's a sweetie, Gilbert. <laughs> Was he there at this thing? No. Oh, okay. I don't, no, not in the one I did. Yeah. So I didn't get to ask last time I went to ask was about uh, Rob Zombie. And um, was it uh, Lords of Salem the first time you worked with Rob Zombie? God, let me think. I've done four things with Rob now. So might have been I think there was something before Lords of Salem. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I remember Lords of Salem because I, I, it's kind of a polarizing movie, but it's actually one of my favorite Rob Zombie movies. And yeah. I, I, I love the, the, the three witches, you and Meg Foster and Patricia Quinn. Thank you. Yeah. We, uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun doing it. But you always have fun when you work with Rob. You know, he's just low-key, kind of lets you go wherever you want to go. I mean, we do it around a, a script. And then he says, all right, everybody bring in your own shit. <laughs> and then we just have fun. And it's it's so freeing for an actor to be given the... Uh, permission i guess to do that had you worked with patricia quinn or or uh or meg foster before that oh i've worked with maggie sure she and i are friends but i'd never worked with patricia no i know part of the movie was filmed in salem uh, were your any of your parts filmed in salem no i didn't go to salem i've been there because i'm in, in massachusetts and we actually found some of the locations that the movie was filmed at oh yeah i think of the witches meg was the only one that that went yeah and uh how about working with sherry moon sherry moon's on oh she's she is just the sweetest sweetest person uh, she and i had a great time working together you know, and as a couple, they're just, she brings him his health food shake and his vitamins every morning on the set. It's so cute. So cute. To, they just are so deeply in love after all this time. And it's just really, really lovely. I love both of them. And she plays a much different character in uh, Three from Hell. Yeah. And so do you, actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, that Three from Hell is when I got to do most of my work with Sherry. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know that's me. <laughs> yeah, I it's true. It's such that. a different character for yeah. you. Yeah. I would take that as a compliment. Absolutely. Uh, there was a critic that called Rob and said, I'm reviewing the film and I really love it, but did you cut Dee Wallace? Because her name's in here, but I don't see her in the movie. <laughs> Rob said he wrote back, oh, she's in there. Look again, you'll find her. (laughs) And I thought that's a great compliment. When he sent me the script, I wrote him back and I went, Rob, I want to do this character, but I can't do her looking like me. I got to dye my hair. Can I have some glasses? I don't want to wear any makeup at all except you know, darkening under my eyes or something. I want to look like shit. And he wrote back and he said, okay. (laughs) Okay. That was his response. And we, uh, we came up with a great look for her. Mm -hmm. Uglier than hell, but it suited her. 
Yeah, suits movie three from hell. Yeah. Now I, I know it's um, Sid Haig's last role. Uh, did you know him very well from the conventions or anything? Oh yeah, Sid and I were good friends. Big loss, big loss to the industry. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, a big part of Without Your Head. He was our first guest on the show and helped me really? out. Really? Yeah. Uh, and such a smart man. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that I was terrified. I didn't know what to expect. And I was just like, oh, no. And he was the nicest guy. Oh, he's a sweetheart. Just a sweetheart. And um, I know they didn't want to put it out a lot. Um, I wanted to go see him in the hospital, but they weren't allowing anybody in. And, you know, they kept putting out, he's okay. He'll be home. But the, the inside knowing was that he was really not going to recover from this. So yeah. yeah Big loss was, for all he of He was it. doing conventions right up till he really couldn't. And I think it was yep. as he, you know, he liked to meet the fans. You could tell whenever you run. Love to meet the fans would hang out in the bars after the convention and talk to everybody and schmooze and, yeah, I get I get finished with the day and I go, I'm going to my room. I'm having a glass of wine and dinner and crashing. I mean, it's, uh, it you know, if you do it right, it takes a lot of energy <laughs> uh-huh. to do the cons. If you really connect with people and talk and schmooze, it's, I love doing them because I love meeting the fans. And you'll be going back to the conventions here uh, coming up soon. Uh, next week. Oh, very soon. to uh, Vegas to do Days of the Dead. Very good. Yep. That'll be fun. Uh, Trista, do you have a question? I do. You've played so many characters and a wide range of characters. I'm wondering if there's any sort of uh, characters that you have an itch to play that you haven't been able to yet. That's a great question. I have always wanted to play a tormented nun. And wow. I just got an offer. Really? That's a very specific movie. No, yeah, that's really a specific thing. Where I play a tormented nun. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah good excellent. creating, huh? <laughs> yeah, you manifested this. Yep. I did. I did. <laughs> well, that's very so, interesting. We're all looking forward to seeing that eventually. Well, you know, I've got, I think, four movies coming out. And, or maybe, maybe they've gotten distribution and you can find them online. I don't know. I ha- Now that everything's opening back up and Things are being bought and sold again. Um, I have to track all of them down. 13 Fanboy has a lot of hype behind it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's some really interesting work in it from a lot of people. So I'm, I'm anxious to see that. Uh, when you were first approached to that, what did you think? Because, you know, it is uh, what's considered a fan film, but it's got like a budget behind it and a lot of people in it. You know, it's different than than what we used to think of as a fan. Well, I read the script and I went, I can't believe that somebody hasn't come up with this idea before. That the actual actors that are playing the roles are being stalked. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was an idea who was way overdue in the horror genre. So I think it's, I think it's going to be really good, but you know, I haven't seen it. Right. So. And you said about the buzz. I mean, that's really a movie that's uh, a word of mouth on the internet, you know, people talking about and sharing it and it's really uh-huh. you know, help that. That's where all the buzz has come from. Well, and Deborah Voorhees directed it and I just adore her. Mm-hmm. Just love her. Sweet, sweet lady, knows what she's doing, great to work with. It was a really nice experience for me. Uh, was she somebody that you that you met at the conventions? Or how did you get to know Deborah? Um, Deborah 
No, I didn't really meet her. Where did I meet her the first time? But she also had um, a real connection with my agent. They're good friends. And so that's really how she got a hold of me this time. Oh, very cool. And uh, we didn't uh, talk about last week, uh, last time too much, but um, could you tell everyone about your website, imdwallace.com? And, you know, what, what can people expect when they go there? Well, not the horror movies. Right. <laughs> uh, my whole website is dedicated to the other side of D, which is all my healing work. I'm a clairaudient channel. And I do webinars. Uh, I have a talk show every Sunday where people can call in for free and ask any questions about any blocks they have, why they can't create something that they're trying to create. Do private sessions all over the world now. And that's IamDWallace.com. You'll find out a whole other side of DWallace. Very interesting. Uh, do people does that happen a lot though? Someone will know you be, from movies, and then they'll go to your website and see this different side of you. And and is there ever the other reverse of that? People who know you from the from the website and then go and watch your movies, and they maybe no. I think everybody knows me from my movies first, and then they, you know, and the press always tries to get me. How can you be a healer when you do all these horror films? <laughs> I said, look, guys, not so far apart as you may seem. You know, I spend half my life doing films about fear and the other half of my life teaching people how to heal themselves from fear. So the two worlds kind of coincide and overlap, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, last time when we talked about a lot of your roles, you play someone, you get sympathy. Uh, you can see this, you get sympathy watching. So what was it like playing the villain in the Rob Zombie movies? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> you know, uh, I really like playing all those characters that I, and colors that I find within myself. Uh, you know, um, I mean, the Frighteners, was a really interesting movie for me too, because the first part of it, I played this simpy little victim who then morphs back into who she used to be, which is this vicious killer. Um, so I, I have a lot of fun as an actor playing all the different kinds of emotional things that are within all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, I'm just reading the chat room. A lot of people are saying they're glad to see you here. And uh, we'll get to a few of the questions here in a minute. Uh, do you have a question, Trista? Yes, I'm a huge Howling fan. So I have to ask what it was like working with Joe Dante. With whom? Joe Dante. Oh, Joe Dante. Oh, well, Joe and I are good friends. And um, look, to work with Joe is to go to work and never know what to expect, except a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he knows exactly what he wants. And like, I don't know if I told you this the last time, um, all of the cartoons and all of the old clips and everything Joe paid for himself because the studio wouldn't cough up the money. And he, it really elevates the film and to watch he and Rob Bottin work together was pretty amazing. I, I, I adore Joe. I know it sounds like I adore everybody, but not so much. But <laughs> people were talking about, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas just mentions he loves your hair and your southern accent in Three from Hell, which we talked about a few minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, I just couldn't see the prison guard looking like this, uh -huh. right, with the little blonde hair and all that. So uh, I love that that Rob 
trust me enough as an artist to hear my concept and then run with it. He did the same thing in Lords of Salem too. Um, he just, he's a real actor's director. Uh, Madeline Deering wants to know, what was uh, Jill Sholin like to work with on Popcorn? Well, that was one hell of a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> but I remember Jill as being very sweet. Um, I don't think I actually had tons of, of work with her. But Jill and I uh, communicate, you know, uh, even now uh, via email and stuff. We, let me tell you, popcorn was a freaking nightmare to shoot. They took us to Jamaica. And most, uh, well, the theater where most everything happens was an old abandoned theater that a lot of homeless people lived in. So you walked in and were knocked over by the smell of urine, first of all. And, and I think twice they lost their financing. We didn't know if we were gonna finish the film. If I remember this correctly, it was twice. Um, but again, you know, working with the other actors was awesome. Except I got there to do the scene where I'm in that full body cast. And they went, okay, D, well, we are going to have to wrap you. So do you want to, can you stand up for that? I went, okay, let's, let's think this through. How am I going to pee? <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. I said, guys, I got to get a way to get out of this. First of all, I'm claustrophobic. Second of all, we're going to be shooting all day in this. You know, they just hadn't thought it through. So they made it, and they made it with hinges so I could get out of it, and then everything was, was great. But we lost a little time that day because, no way could I have stayed in that thing for 12 hours. Yeah. You know? Had anything like that ever come up uh, before or since uh, about being claustrophobic and being, you know, inside, if you're filming somewhere in a small area? You know, I was never claustrophobic until I did the film in Poland that I did with my husband. And a couple of scenes they filmed way down in the salt mines. Mm -hmm. So there were about 15 of us. And they said, okay, well, we're going to take you down in the elevator. Well, the elevator was made out of wood. It was an open air shaft. Like you would load goods down in, not people. And somebody's doing this, right? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> we get about halfway down, and all of a sudden, the thing goes, whoop! Uh, and all the lights go out. I'm the only one that speaks English. Everybody is yelling in Polish. <laughs> and we were... This went on for, like, what I seemed to me like 20 minutes or a half hour. By the time I got to the bottom, I was freaking hysterical. And Christopher, my husband, was already down there shooting. And they came, they went to get him and they said, we don't know what to do with Dee. She's like hysterical. And, it, and they told him what happened. And he went, oh, shit, man. she got really bad claustrophobia. So he came up and he said, D, Popper. <laughs> and I was screaming and crying and he just hauled off and walked me across the face. Wow. <laughs> and I looked at him and I went, 
Well, that's the fucking last time you'll ever do that, dude. <laughs> but it, it brought me out of it, didn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Just to think of that makes me a little right now. That was pretty crazy. Uh-huh. The whole shoot was pretty crazy. Had you had uh, any injuries in any of the movies? Oh, please. Everything I've done. Everything I've done. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I do have done most of my stunts in my, like I flew in the Frighteners. Um, when I broke the window in Cujo, I wasn't supposed to be able to break the window. So I slipped my arm. Um, I had so many injuries on Cujo anyway, bumps and bruises and, you know, it just comes with the territory when you're doing that kind of, of film. But I think it, I, I think it's the emotional, um, bruises and bumps that, um, in most of my films are the hardest takes a while to bring yourself out of it and get back to balance place, mm-hmm. you know? Is there anything you do to get into that? You know, not necessarily get into that role, but to prepare for the, for that. I just get, I have a very specific technique that I use. It's much different than a lot of actors. Um, Charles Conrad was my mentor and he taught us, it's kind of loosely based on Meisner, but not really. I know the way Charles taught it. And you get your energy sky high. And you, what Charles called, you throw your energy toward the person or the scene you're working with. Most actors hold their energy back here and kind of watch what they're doing. They pull out from the back. And um, what that does really is it allows you to open a channel. So when I became a channeler, I went, oh my God, I've done this in my acting my whole career. Who knew? But I mean, things in class would happen like we weren't allowed to ever do a piece of material that we had seen or that we had done before. And I was, I don't know, a half a page into this scene that I was doing in class and Charles said, Deanna, Deanna D. Wallace. And you knew when he used your whole name, you were LOL. So I said, Charles, what? He said, you know you're not supposed to do a scene that you've ever done before you've seen. I said, Charles, I swear to you, I don't know what this is from. I've never seen it before. He said, then why are you limping? Because she's cripple. And stuff would happen in acting class like that every week because we were just bringing in information. And that's kind of how I work. I don't break anything down. I don't look for beats. I don't think, you know, what are other people saying about me? Or I, if I can just stand there and let her take me over, I'm home free. It's kind of magical, actually. Mm-hmm. Is there, I would assume sometimes that's easier, or not maybe easier, but sometimes that would happen uh, quicker than others. Uh, what do you do when, if you just can't, you know, find the, find that character? I don't find the character. The character finds me. And it it always happens. It's just always, if I get out of the way, you know, Three from Hell, the, the scene in Three from Hell, when I go in, we've uh, kind of thrown baby to the wolves and we think these two other guards are going to rip her to pieces. And I come back in to see their handiwork. And of course, she has killed both of them and they're and they brought me in at the last moment to pick that scene up and so they threw me in makeup and I walked on and and Rob said 
Okay, well, we're, we're adding this, and he does this a lot. I love this about him. He, he sees what he's got, and then he goes, oh, I need to extend that a little bit, right? And he said, so it's a continuation of this, and you come in, and she's killed everybody. All right, are we ready? And went, ha, huh? wait a minute. Just give me a minute, right? Because I didn't even know what scene I was doing. And I sat, I stood there. And I took a couple of deep breaths, and all of a sudden, that character just took me over, and it went the opposite way of where, if I had tried to figure it out and break it down, what, because your, your mental mind goes, oh my God, you're horrified, and what are you going to do? Oh, no, no. Where she took me was, you fucking bitch. Oh, and I like to screw you right now. <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest moment that happened. And I hear cut and Rob goes, Jesus Christ, where does this shit come from? <laughs> you know, but it's it's so much fun to literally have those moments happen to you while the camera's rolling, you know, um, in Halloween, Halloween's the first thing I did with Rob. Okay. Um, when he'd say, okay, everybody just bring in your best stuff, whatever you want to do. It was unbelievable. I mean, that whole thing about fucking the bagel, that was all improv. Uh, Scout said something, and then I just, I don't know, we just ran with everything. It was crazy. And let me tell you, I have never, ever in all my films combined had as much blood on me as I did. <laughs> they took a bug sprayer and went like this all over me. <laughs> it was crazy. I love it. Uh, Tristan, you have another question? I do. Your technique is so interesting to me, and it's not one I'm familiar with. You mentioned taking a few deep breaths. I'm wondering if breath work is a part of uh, accessing that channel where you get inspiration from. I think breath work opens up your channel, whether you're channeling as a healer or um, your channel as a person when you meditate. You know, breath work is um, kind of a standard in most practices. And now that I'm studying brain science a lot, I uh, have the information that when you do deep breathing like that, it literally opens up your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve extends all the way down to your back and it communicates then with all your organs and tissues and stuff. So why that's important in creating your life, I'm, see, you have to try and follow my brain here. Now I'm over into the healing world. Why that's important is that every thought and feeling you have has an electrical charge that goes out into the universe and the universe matches it and sends it back to you as a reality. So it's really important to send those messages down your vagus nerve to flood your organs and everything so that you can send the positive, powerful frequencies out into the universe. Did I answer your question? Yes, you and, okay. and more more than that. You you're so interesting. I could listen to you talk for so long. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Jennifer and missing the chat room say that uh, they love your scenes with uh, Sherry, and they're both uh, fans of uh, of Sherry. And yeah, me um, too. Missy also wants to know what was it like? Uh, any stories work on critters, and also revisiting the critters world uh, when you did one of the later sequels. Well, of course, I have a lot of stories from critters, but mostly a lot of the critters weren't 
finished, like the big critter in our movie, you only see the eyes come up in the window because they really hadn't finished them. Boy, when they finished them, were they magnificent too. Um, but my fondest memory of doing Critters is we'd be in all these emo emotional, highly emotional scenes and then we'd hear somebody go, okay, roll them in. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's standing off to the side, rolling the things across <laughs> camera, right? <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And when they called me uh, to do Critters Attack, um, my first question to them was, are you doing it with the puppets or are you doing it with CGI? Because if they were doing it with, with CGI, I wouldn't have done it. Um, I just think the fans want the real stuff, I agree. you know? And so um, I read the script. Unfortunately, two of the really great scenes that I loved uh, by the time I got down there, they couldn't shoot because of time and money and all kinds of different things. But I'm just saying, if you have a chance to do a film and you like the film and it shoots in Cape Town, South Africa, <laughs> it's a no-brainer. You go. You know, Cape Town, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. When you're in, when you're on location for a movie, do you get a chance to see the see the area, or is it mostly you're just there? Depends on the movie. Depends on the movie and how much time you have off. But yeah, usually you get to see some of it. I am. Um, they brought me down early so I could get over because it's a really long trip, and uh, you get hit pretty hard with jet lag. Um, and I had a wonderful, wonderful guy. We're still friends. We, we, uh, email and text a lot who, um, my handler, I guess, who took care of me and just such a sweet guy. And we would go to often go to dinner together. And he took me on this beautiful drive where it looked like hundreds of people were out parasailing and floating and oh i just and the restaurants in cape town are to die for so um and we just had a lot of fun you know a lot of good actors and if you haven't seen critters attack go go to sci-fi and check it out it's a fun fun little visit back to yeah back to the you know critters anthology mm -hmm. well uh we appreciate you coming back and doing this you bet, guys. <laughs> and we look forward to you as a nun and oh, yeah. uh, all your future projects. Yeah, thank you. And uh, everybody look out for a movie called The Knicks that I just did. Anthony Ferrante uh, directed it, who did all the Sharknados. He's, oh, okay. He's been on the show, yeah. Yep. And uh, he, uh, it's, it's pretty out there. If, I think it was the hardest character I've played since Cujo. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, pretty out there. So I have no idea, you know, still, they, we literally just finished it. So, but Look forward can, to that, then. You yeah. can put it in your pipeline anyway. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And uh, if you're on the West Coast, you can make it to Vegas next week. You can see D at uh, Days of the Dead. Woo! <laughs> Yeah, we got to get those conventions back on, guys. Oh, you know, yeah. It's been a long, dry spell. I agree. Miss them. From seeing my fans. I didn't like it. Yeah. I get my uh, second vaccination next week. So Good. Good for you. You're, uh, you are promoting that to all your listeners, I'm hoping. Yep. Uh, Troy already has his second. Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm all set. Get her bandaid. Yep. <laughs> get get vaccinated, guys. Uh, I know from the channel and I know from studying, uh, my brother was very connected to the CDC when he was alive. And Go get vaccinated. Help us all out. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Help us get back to normal. Yep. You bet. Oops.
Uh, we really appreciate this. Thank you. And thank, Dee, thank you so much. Thanks for your understanding, guys. I'm so happy we got the last part of it, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And great. now you know why we're all in different outfits. Right. <laughs> we're going to start doing that for all the shows. We're going to go to break and then we'll, yeah. we'll show up. <laughs> well, that's what they do at the Oscars and everything. Everybody goes back and puts on a new freaking dress. So. <laughs> anyway, everybody have a great night. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so I'll much. See you soon, guys. Uh, glad everyone made it here to Tristan Troy. And thank yes, you. Yes, good to see everybody. We'll be back next week. All right. Yep, bye yep. bye. Bye bye, everybody. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming!